0: ...to Isaiah chapter 56, and we're going to cover the last few chapters of the book of Isaiah, and then next week, Lord willing, move in to Jeremiah and continue on in our regular Bible reading program. Let me, um, let me read to you just a couple of verses, and then I'll give you some background information and try to catch up a little bit on some of the things we've missed over the past few weeks. Uh, Chapter 56, verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come, and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the Son of Man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and who keeps his hand from doing evil. So that's the title of my message this morning is keep justice and do righteousness and we'll come back to that talk about that in uh, in just a little bit but basically my message is kind of summed up in those <laughs> first couple of verses which makes me want to say let's go home but I can't do that I want to give you some more information on it uh, but let me let me just back up and talk to you a little bit about Isaiah because we've skipped over all those chapters um, Isaiah prophesied in the days of four kings: Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And, um, again, this is just kind of highlights. They, he was very prominent when they dealt with two, um, a couple of great threats. The first great threat was when the Israelites, the, now remember, Israel at this time had had a civil war, had had for generations, and the northern kingdom was separated from the southern kingdom. So we had what was called Israel, or sometimes Samaria in the north, and Judah in the south. And Isaiah prophesied to the kings of Judah. But the first threat was when the kingdom in the north there, the Israel, sided with the Syrians, their neighbor, and put pressure on Judah and said, we're going to come and invade you. And uh, Ahaz was confronted by Isaiah and said, you know, trust God and God will take care of us. And Ahaz rejected Isaiah's counsel and depended upon Assyria. Now, we, we don't have time to read through all that today, but that's that's the story. He didn't depend upon God. He depended upon Assyria. And the next thing you know, Assyria is the threat. Assyria, now not Syria, but Assyria, A-S-S-Y-R-I-A, that nation came against Syria, conquered it, came against Israel, conquered it, and came against um, Judah down to the gates of Jerusalem and once again <clears throat> um, the prophet goes to the king at this time the king is Hezekiah and says trust in God and at first Hezekiah does it but then finally he calls upon God and God delivered him. So Hezekiah and uh, we're, we'll talk more about this in upcoming weeks as opportunity arises Hezekiah was a prophet of God who spoke to the king. He was not the king, but he spoke to the king. It said, King, here's, here's God's will for you. Here's God's law. So, um, he then looked ahead, and I'll give you some more information on this here in just a second. He then looked ahead to those who would be taken into captivity by the Babylonians. So if you have maps in your Bible, you may want to, you know, look at those. And and when we get to Daniel, we talk about that in more detail because Daniel kind of, you you know, that large large image, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has talks about these kingdoms. And we go through and explain how one kingdom arose and then the next one supplanted it and the next one supplanted it, etc. So Isaiah through the lens of prophecy is able to see that God's people are going to be judged because of their evil and unrighteousness and they're going to go into captivity. And so he speaks to those who are what we refer to as the exiles. And then finally he looks past that and sees those who would return from exile and rebuild the city which we read about in Nehemiah and, um, and Ezra. So uh, they're called the post-exilic prophets and those people who returned. Um, all through this, Isaiah addresses the need to honor God and depend upon him and obey him. He deals with their idolatry, he deals with their wickedness in some areas and we'll talk more about that in just a second. Um, his, his great message was that they should trust God explicitly, that all of their decisions should be made, should be made on the basis of the fact that God loves them and is caring for them and is directing their steps and they should and because of that they should obey him. Because he will provide protection and help and blessing for them. Um, Worship and life. And and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. Worship and life. So, Isaiah is also, because of prophecy, shown God's larger plan for Judah. And the kingdom that comes with the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now I've got a I've got a little chart here in my in my Bible and um, you, you may have something similar to the notes and this Bible has several pages of of introductory notes to each of the books and uh, so I'll I'll just kind of give you some information chapters one through thirty nine are in the seven hundreds seven hundreds B C and it deals with the Assyrian threat. Chapters one through thirty-nine, and uh, the, the way the the way the people put these notes put it together, they put audience. So I don't know. That's the people he was talking to. Okay, I guess today you're the audience. Can everybody say amen? If you're the audience. Amen. All right. So glad you have you here. Um, so his audience was God's rebellious people, who were craving worldly security. Now listen to that. Now, I'm going to read some other stuff later in this that I think will flabbergast you at how timely it all is. He says God's rebellious people craving worldly security. The actions that he that he emphasizes is that God will purify a remnant of his apostate people through judgment. Ouch. And the message is in returning and rest you will be saved. But you were unwilling. That's in chapter 30, verse 15. So in other words, you return to me, repent. That's what, you know, turn around, come back, return to me, and you'll find salvation. In Isaiah chapters 40 through 55, the prophecies um, are for a later time during the Babylonian exile. And his audience is God's defeated people who are now under worldly domination. So they, they no longer have a nation. They're in, cap, they're in cap, uh, captivity in, in Babylon. Um, you know, I, I turned on the, I was flipping through the channels a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I guess, and this guy came on one of the, I don't know what channel it was. It was PBS or one of them came on. And he was singing this song, By the Rivers of Babylon, We Sat Down. It's actually a psalm. And I listened to this guy sing this, and I, I called Marlene in, and I, she, he says, she says, yeah, I think he sings that every time. And I thought, that's interesting that he would sing that. This was not a Christian program. This was a guy doing a concert, and uh, so he sang it. And that's, that psalm uh, tells you where they are. It says, by the rivers of Babylon we sat down. It says, we hung our harps in the trees, but our captives required of us a song. And they were mocking us as we tried to sing of God's greatness. So, God's defeated people. And then his, his actions are God consoles his discouraged people in exile. And then in verse 5 of chapter 40, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Then the last chapters, the ones we're going to deal with today, 56 through 66, through the end of the book, it's prophesies about uh, all the times and occasions unto the end and we'll see this I mean this, it's in this passage that Jesus opens the Bible when he's called to read in the synagogue opens the Bible opens the scroll as he's called to read in the synagogue and he reads about himself and says today this is fulfilled in yours I'll talk about that in just a second so it's, it, it goes from the time of Israel to the time of the end we're going to read verses or you, you've read them that says I'm going to make a new heavens and a new earth that's the end, and uh, it says the audience is all who hold fast to God's covenant, and the actions are God prepares all of His true people for His promised salvation, and the message is keep justice and do righteousness. Now, I already read to you fifty six one and two. I'm going to jump into the text here today, and we're going to go down through this text through the end of this to the end of this book. Um, Keep justice and do righteousness. I put in there because I knew that that would, if somebody looked at that, they could look that up. They could actually figure out, even from the title, what we, where we were in Scripture. But if I had subtitles to this, it would be Worship and Life. Worship and Life. And we have them both here. So let me read it again. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come, and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the Son of Man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Today, in um, certainly in the world, there's kind of a continuum of it from people who don't, care at all about God and who eschew anything that has to do with anything spirituality to people who go to church on a regular basis. And very many of them are dualists. They have separated God from life. And you cannot separate worship from living. That's why in these verses it says this this man who's going to be blessed is going to what? Keep the Sabbath. And he's going to keep his hand from doing evil. And as you read through this, not just the passages we'll cover today, but as you read through this entire book, and and as we get into the other prophets, the prophets not only point a a bony prophetic (coughs) finger at folks for idolatry, and for profaning the sabbath and for not keeping the years that they keep the year that they're to keep and keeping the days that they're to keep but he also points a finger at them for doing injustice for shedding innocent blood for defrauding for for despising their marriage vows and 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 the list continues so we we cannot be a real believer and separate worship in life. Jesus is Lord of everything, not just church stuff. Now, I want to put my finger here. If I raise my finger, yell at me. <clears throat> um, I'll put my finger here because I want to interject something. The world wants you to live as a dualist. Up until this point, they are content to let you have your Christianity on Sunday morning in a church. They don't like it when you take it out there. All right, back to where my finger was. I didn't move it. Did you see that? It was pretty good. So we, we, we think that Jesus is Lord. You know, He's Lord of Bible reading. I've got to obey Him. I've got to pray. Uh, 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 but, but His dominion is over all the believer's life. And some wise man years ago said, Jesus, if He is not Lord of all... Is not Lord at all. It it, it is, that is not a a statement that we get to parse and say, well, I, I reserve this part of my life back. Jesus Christ gave his blood for us and has redeemed us. That means if you're a believer, you belong to him. Your life is not your own. You don't get to choose independently or and, or claim your own autonomy. Now, the first crossover that we get here is actually, we you know, we just received an offering. The first crossover that we get here is usually finances because that's what touches. I mean, we're, we're able to come in here and we're able to pray and we raise our hands and so we can be holy and do that kind of stuff. Well, now all of a sudden, we we're going to receive an offering. So now... That's kind of a secular thing, isn't it? I've got to pay my bills. I've got to buy shoes for the kids. And I've got to do all this other stuff for that. So that's kind of the first crossover. But it, it, it just finances, it just doesn't stop there. But he does say to you, will you obey me with your money? And I think that money, if we say that, we, we limit it. Will you obey me with your stuff? Will you think about me? Will you recognize me? Will you yield to me with your stuff? What about your, and, and let's go further, what about your business agreements? What about your relationships? What about your sex life? What about your eating? What about your hobbies and leisure? By the way, you, you, you don't get a day off from God. Okay? You, you don't get to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do what I want to today. I'll see you, you know, on Wednesday you don't get to do that what is he lord of your words is he lord of your inner thoughts is he lord of your dreams is he lord of your fears and we could go on and on and on he is lord over everything that you can even contemplate much less think about seeing or touching now i to go down through this and and lay that lay that as the foundation because that's what we're that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with this dualism in modern culture and in many of our modern churches where we separate our service to God from what we do the rest of the week. Um, and, and a lot of our church structures have um, codified this and have placed it into their organizational structure. And and we say such things, and we don't necessarily mean to be it, and it's partially true. You know, we say such things like, you know, you, please come and serve the Lord by teaching in a Sunday school class. And that's not untrue, but that's not the only time you serve the Lord. The other 167 hours that you live throughout the week are of equal importance in God's eyes as this one. Chapter 56, verse 9. and I can't read all this because of time, but let me give you some of it. It says, All you beasts of the field come to devour, and you beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. They are without knowledge. They are They are all silent dogs that cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain. One and all, come they say, let me get wine, let us find ourselves, fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like today, great beyond measure. And, and again, without, I can't go into all, uh, elaborate on this. But they had, they had bad leaders. Their, their ungodly leaders were in it for themselves. I love that. You know, don't you love the language? They are dogs who cannot bark. And all they do is lay around and eat. Maybe you have a dog like that. <laughs> my dad used to say to the dog, What good are you? You never do anything. You know, And the dog would just look at him and wag his tail. And I'm thinking, you know, Come on, Dad. The dog loves you. You're like a god to him. He thinks you're great. And, and my dad knew that. But um, the dog really didn't do anything. We didn't have... Maybe you do. We didn't have working dogs we had petting dogs, and we paid a lot of money for the privilege of petting them. Okay, and for having them come and treat us like we were important. So he says, "These guys, look, you guys, you, let's just fill ourselves up. We're not doing anything. It's all about us. It's all about us." Now, in chapter fifty-seven, he deals with idolaters, and um, I'll, I'll, I'll let's see. I don't know if I can find a quick thing to read here because he talks about it a little bit later yeah let's let's look at verse 13 when you cry out let your collection of idols deliver you this is chapter 57 the wind will carry them off a breath will take them away but he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain so there he's given this given this contrast verse 15 He says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to receive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me and breath of life that I made because of the iniquity of his unjust gain I was angry and I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. Now, I've got to stop there. But I want you to see that he begins by saying uh, the one who is high and lifted up who inhabits Eternity. Let's just stop for a moment and try to wrap our heads around that. (laughs) How many of us know what we're going to have for lunch? Or dinner? And here we talk about God whose name is high and holy and dwells in a holy place. We we do not... it takes a uh, let me let me say it this way. It takes a work of God's wonderful, miraculous grace for us to understand how high and holy God is. He tells us in His Word, and sometimes we read it and we just go over it. Yep, that's God. He's high and lifted up. He inhabits eternity. It's past our grasping, and he says, "You guys are unjust, and I've been trying to deal with you, and you wouldn't you wouldn't listen to me. So I'm going to bring judgment upon you. But to the one who yields, to the one who humbles, to the one who who um, is lowly before me, him I'll bless." Now look with me to chapter fifty-eight. Keep. Going on here and trying to cover cover some of this i can 't get all of it, but we 'll try to cover some of it fifty eight verses three and four. Why have we fasted, and you see it not now this is this is a this is kind of a a, a a soliloquy here and and the prophet is saying, this is what the people said. Why have we fasted, and you see it not? We have humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it. <clears throat> Excuse me then God answers Behold in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers Behold you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high Now there's more there that I I could read but I wanted you to see that even Fasting is corrupted. And you can also see that this um, discipline that's supposed to be an act of contrition and worship, remember we talked that God would bless the lowly, is not really an act of contrition of the lowly at all. But it was something the people were using to be violent with. And to further their own gain. You read through all of that. He says, you guys make unjust deals. You're, you're just doing this for yourself. So even an act of worship as seeming, um, uh, uh, seemingly stringent and, and demanding as fasting wasn't even holy. Because they were doing it for themselves. They were ignoring the God for whom they were supposed to be serving. Verses 13 and 14, he says, if you turn turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. And I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So he says, if you turn back and you honor my Sabbath and you honor me. And don't use, it, don't use that Sabbath that I gave you for a day of rest. So that you could stop from all of this activity and focus on me. If, if, you, if you use that honorably, then I will bless you. But he says, "But you're, you, you seek your own pleasure." Are, are there parallels in our culture? Now, I, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want you to be confused. Every day the Lord made is the Lord's day. But God designed us so that there would be at least one day of the week where we stop trying to pay bills. Or we stop trying to do all this work that's out here. And to the best of our ability, we prepare the day ahead so that we can have rest that day. Now, if your animal falls in a ditch, you go get him out. And Jesus dealt with that. So I'm not trying to get involved in semantics or foolishness here. But when you look at our broader culture... We don't use the day that the Lord has given us and in um, most cases when churches meet, we don't use it a day to rest and to seek Him. To some degree, some of you are. The weather will change in a few minutes and I will, or a few minutes, <laughs> it might, uh, <clears throat> in a few weeks. And I'll be able to watch the boats go by my house on Sunday morning, getting in touch with God out on the lake. Fooey. I glad I cleaned that up. Uh, so All right, so now let me go back to this though. Why are we coming? You know, there are churches all over this country that have uh, structured and organized their meetings and communicated that their meetings were so structured and organized so that when you came, you'd get something. Now I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. Because that's exactly what he says they're doing here. You're doing it for yourself. Say, well is is it wrong to do that? Is it wrong to need is it wrong to need something? No, it's not. But when there is a general, repeated, consistent communication that's used to draw people in, that people should come so they can get, come so they could get, come so they could get, eventually it becomes our... the the working of our mind and we forget that we're supposed to go so that we can honor God that it's not about us God gave us the day of rest so that we could glorify Him so that we could minister to other people so that we could bring perhaps what God did for us this week and share it with somebody else so that we could give back to Him so that we could show that we trust Him with our finances by not working If you know, now today things are hard. So if you you know if you have a job and sometimes you have to work on Sundays, that's the way our whole culture is going. It's it's hard to escape it anymore. And there have always been jobs that have worked on Sundays. So I, I don't want us to get bent out of shape about that, but I do want us to examine our hearts in what we're doing. Are we keeping justice? Are we doing righteousness? Are we doing justice by God? So, chapter 59. Listen to this. I want to read you just a few verses here. I'm going to scoot away from that and go on to something else. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face. Excuse me. And your sins have hidden his face from you So that he does not hear, for your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly, no one goes to law honestly, and they rely on empty pleas. They speak lies, they conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. I'm going to read a couple more verses. Verse 14. Listen to this. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. P-R-E-Y. Does that not describe our culture today? that truth stumbles in the public square and that if you say no i'm not going to get involved in that then all of the forces that are supporting it gang up on you how dare you not support us in what we're doing so once again he's talking about social sins and it has to do with the life that goes on around about us how do we live Is He Lord? Are we going to honor Him with our lives even if it puts us in conflict with the culture? How do we we interact with it? Are we salt and light? So it's one thing to say, no, I'm not going to do that. It's another thing to say, you know, that doesn't honor God. That's not what God would have us do. So, the Lord not only wants us to pull ourselves back from those things that are evil and 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 not do them, He wants us to do righteousness and justice, which in some instances means we stand and say the truth Amen. now. Um, mm. Uh, let me read to you from the New Testament. Say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. God doesn't care. You know, we're under grace. Let me read to you from the New Testament. Now, this First Corinthians chapter 5. There's just a little list. There's two lists here I'm going to go to real quick because they're just a page apart. There's other lists in the New Testament that you can look look to. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. For I am now writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he is guilty... Of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, drunkard, or swindler, not to even eat with such a one. for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those it is not those inside the church, excuse me, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those the outside those outside purge the evil person. From above you. Forgive me, my reading is bad today. So, Paul says, "Look, I want you to look." And, and folks, look at that list carefully. We have idolater right next to reviler. Um, let me let me give you the next list. It's in chapter six. It's it's kind of a continuation of the theme. Verse 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. He says, you used to be that way, but you're, some of you used to be that way, but you're that way no longer. The Lordship of Jesus Christ calls us out of that life, of those lifestyles. And he tells us if that thing is happening among us as brethren, that we're supposed to judge it and deal with it. Now, there's more that could be said about that, but I wanted you to see the lists I wanted you to see that it's not just an Old Testament thing. It's a New Testament thing. That when God looks around out here, He just doesn't point His finger at the Old Testament and say, you guys go to court for no reason and you make up stories and you lie and and truth is stumbling in the streets. That it's also here. That's what defrauding is all about. It's lying to someone in order to take their money. The swindlers. (laughs) Okay? Or thieves. And by the way, Homosexuality. So you can't say that? Sir, sure can God did? I didn't write the book, I was just reading it. All right. All right, let's go to uh, Isaiah 61. I'm going to leave the section out about Israel and prophecy. We'll talk about that some other time. I will say this about it. I believe that Israel is the focus of all history. The nation of Israel is right now the focus of all history and has been for a long time. Before the Messiah came, they were the focus of history because through them the Messiah would come. Since the Messiah has come, they are the focus because through them the Messiah will return. When Jesus comes back, he sits on a throne in Jerusalem as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He rules as a king and his his lineage is to David, the king of Jerusalem, king of Israel. So always keep your ears kind of alert, um, your antenna up about what's going on in Israel. And there will always be lulls, but it will always come back. And it's God's focal point in dealing with this earth. And eventually all the nations of this earth will focus their hatred of God on Israel. Chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim to you the Lord's favor. And the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And I could read on, but I won't continue to read because I think you understand what that was. This is the passage that Jesus stood. I mentioned this earlier. And when they handed him the scroll, he opened to the, He opened to this passage in the Isaiah and he read it. And when he got done, the Bible, you know, it's very simplistic what the Bible says. The Bible says he handed the scroll back and he said, this day this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. So, what's Isaiah talking about here? Well, Isaiah's talking about all this judgment that's going to come. And as he moves through these last chapters, remember, he's talking about the victory that's going to come. He's trying to encourage those people who are returning from the exile, the people who are coming back. And in the process of doing that, he tells them good things that are going to happen to them. And he's also looking forward to good things that are going to happen in the end. Let me skip ahead here and see if I can um, kind of bring this thing to a... A culmination. Look at look at chapter sixty six, verse twenty two. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath all flesh shall come to worship before me declares the Lord and that's not the only place where he talks about a new heaven and a new earth so Isaiah sees past what's going to happen with these exiles and he sees all all the way to the end to what's going to happen at the end when the king of kings returns so He's looking all this time, and these people are looking. That's why when Jesus showed up, one of the things they they wanted their deliverer to come. And we've talked about this before. That's why some of them thought Jesus was their earthly deliverer. He's going to throw the Romans out, and they were going to give them back their nation. We talk about it every Palm Sunday. That palms were a, a symbol of the nationalists, as we called them. We'll call them, and they were waving palms. Because they were expecting a political deliverer and weren't looking for someone who was going to die. This is the passage of scripture that when John the Baptist, now think, think this through with me. Remember when John the Baptist was in the prison and he sent messengers to Jesus? And he said, are you the one or was I wrong? basically was the message how many remember what I'm talking about here and Jesus answered him and and told his messengers go back to John and tell them that you see the gospel preached to the poor and the eyes of the blind opened and the dead raised and he basically quotes this passage so what happened well John thought there was going to be a political leader and he's in prison and it's not working out for him he eventually dies there and so John's thinking, maybe this is the wrong one. Maybe I was wrong. And Jesus points him back to the fact that these things that are going on, that this kingdom has come, and it's, got a, it's of a different nature, and it's calling men to righteousness and holiness. And it's actually, he's revealing himself as Lord. He came to those Jews. John says he came to his own, and his own what? Received him Not. So Jesus proclaims himself, and what Isaiah is doing is saying, "Look, your guys are looking for a deliverer. Here he is. Here he is. Here's what it's going to come. Here's the acceptable year of the Lord. This one is going to come who's going to have the spirit of God. He's going to be anointed, and all of these things are going to happen because of what He does. And folks, that person is Jesus. Now earlier I talked about Israel being the place. The person is Jesus. There is no other person. It's Jesus. 65 chapter 1. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, Here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. A people who provoke me to my face continually. Sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks. Who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places. And who eat pig's flesh. And broth of tainted meat is in their vessels. Who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. And he goes on to talk about how he's going to bring Judgment. So this Redeemer who comes, and I I couldn't help but think about this because Jesus said some of these very same things in a different way. He says, I spread out my hands all day to rebellious people. I was ready to be found, but you wouldn't listen to me. And Jesus said, very specifically, He said, you know, the Son of Man... Um, John the Baptist came to you fasting, and, and you said he was crazy, and Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you said he's a, he's a, a, a glutton and a wine bibber. He says, in a, another little play on words that had to do with that first century, he said, I've been the band, and I've been playing for you, and you guys have not danced. One more passage here, chapter 66. It kind of continues the thought. Those who sanctify and purify themselves go into gardens following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh and the abomination of mice. Shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. Now I, I'm not sure I understand all that's going on there. I don't have time, even if I, if I did, to explain it. But he's talking about those who are dishonoring God, idolaters. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and they shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations, Tarshish, to Pul and Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and, and Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. And he goes on to say how old they're going to come. And then he talks about they're, they're all going to come. And then he talks about how there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And there's going to be a, there's a promise that they're going to worship in his presence. And by the way, it's not just here, I, 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 I couldn't do it all, but I, it could, we could take a whole sermon just going through the book of Isaiah and talking about the blessings that would come when they yield to Him, when they honor Him, when they worship Him. It's throughout, all throughout here. So it's sprinkled, so that the, there's a promise of worship in His presence, and when they do, there's going to be rejoicing, and there's going to be, when it's real worship, when it's true worship, not this false stuff not this false fast, not this idolatrous stuff of eating pig's flesh and all of the things that they were involved in. And he comes, so he comes in judgment, but he brings grace and fulfillment and blessing to his own. Say, what's that got to do with us? He will come in judgment. Now, I, I can't, again, I'm going to quit here. I don't have time to get into all the eschatology of it. Um, but God will, will judge this earth. God will make right what's right. He will cause that all will see Him and glorify Him. It's our privilege as believers to glorify him without the judgment because we know that he took the judgment on himself that's why Philippians can say that after he went through all of that suffering God will highly exalt him and give him a name that is above every name that you guys know it don't you That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that he's Lord. Heavenly Father, we live in a world where truth stumbles in the streets. Paul did, as did Isaiah. They all talked about the evil that's in men's hearts about oppression and all sorts of sin and manifestations of the flesh. And just as in the Old Testament you brought judgment on those things, we know that you will in the New Testament. So Lord, I ask you to help us serve you from our hearts. To be free from the entanglements of this world and so that our worship when we lift our hands when we sing a song when we lift our voice to pray it won't be tainted by some hidden thing we're hiding in our life it won't be clouded by something that we have pulled away from your authority it doesn't mean Lord we're perfect but it does mean we're humble and broken before you. And that also means that in that humility and that brokenness we speak truth to power. We confront lies and we depend upon you to sustain us. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.